Welcome to Bits About Books, the home for conversations with authors of breakthrough books on sales, marketing and business. Founders, entrepreneurs and individual professionals, we all need to keep track of ideas that are helping create our today and tomorrow. Bits About Books will strive to find those books and speak to their authors, go behind the scenes and understand what inspired the authors to write the books that they did and how they went about doing so. Through our conversations, we hope to gain insights that will help us to get the most out of our efforts. I'm your host Shubhanjan Sarkar, founder of Pitchlink, the next generation buyer-seller engagement platform where our mission is to make buying easy. Welcome to Bits About Books. Thank you for your time and for joining us in this session. I have a favor to ask. While you continue to listen to the podcast, please leave a comment or rating at iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts from. I personally look at each comment and will give you a shout out to each of you in our following episodes. It means a lot to hear from you. Our guest today is Wayne Clancy and we speak with him about his bestseller, Differentiate to Win, the process of onboarding new business for all the right reasons. And it was all about push marketing. Go get it sold. Go get it sold. What what are your numbers today? Go get it sold. And manipulation that happened was unbelievable. And people were, customers were onboarded, even if they didn't really need the types of services that were there, because it was all about the money. And I could see the damage that was there at the time. And, And I started to like really ask myself those questions. You know, are we really benefiting these people or we're just in this competitive mode of get the business at any cost. And that's where the whole idea of differentiation and and, and creating a certain amount of value and, and create strong relationships. That's where it all kind of came to me. And, and I realized when I started to develop some systems approaches to it and I changed that, our business did so well in a short period of time. Wynn is the founder of MindSuite Human Science GPS platform. The MindSuite GPS provides organizations and communities with the same level of ongoing visibility and understanding about people, culture, business development, supply chain optimization, humanity, sustainability, and the associated outcomes through data that they have with their operational and financial systems. In essence, it connects operations with people. Wayne has spoken regularly to very large groups across North America. His first book, Differentiate to Win, was an early publication about ethical selling with an updated version due in the fall of 2023. In addition, he is currently writing with a number of co-authors, including New York Times best-selling author John King, about the opportunities in synthesizing leadership, which is all about leveraging tools for exponential outcomes. Now, on to this great episode with Wayne Clancy. Wayne, welcome to Bits About Books. I'm delighted to have you here and talk about your, I think, very important book. Uh, and I'm glad to know that you are planning to have a new edition come out later this year. Uh, but I can't wait to talk about this. Welcome. Well, thank you very much. And uh, uh, you're, you're, I'm quite a fan of your work. You, you have some great conversations and really get some great s- stimulating ideas going. So it's, uh, I'm, I'm quite pleased to be on your, uh, on your, on your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. That, that's very kind of you. The fact that most of us 
are in commodity business in the sense that we are selling things which other people are as selling as well makes this book so important that there are very few we can say completely differentiated products on their own that they don't need differentiation any further right i mean it's it's very difficult to find those examples there are examples but very difficult i mean possibly one very well known b2c moment is when apple uh, unveiled the iphone i guess that could be taken as a as a differentiated product from the word go but post that all smartphones are pretty much the same uh, uh, this is this is just for the uh, for 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 clarifying what we are talking about here but we are not necessarily talking of b2c we are talking of business in general and the need to differentiate uh, yourself uh, before we even go into the book when when you wrote this book which was many many years back i i'm trying to understand what was the scenario which prompted you to think that we need a book like this well it, it was interesting because um um when i when it, it was kind of a drive when i graduated um uh, my education was in marketing which was an interesting thing but i also was a a musician and I played music with a good buddy of mine and the two of us played regularly and uh, we got to the point of of graduation and we looked at each other and said oh boy and, and in those days you went out and got a job uh it wasn't their entrepreneurism was sort of not even on the conversation part right and if you want to go get a job he said now nah. so we went and got our summer jobs and then we um traveled north america like literally took off in my old beat up car and we traveled all over north america playing our guitars and and getting to know people and observing and seeing what was going on and it was an incredible learning experience uh because i was given a gift by one of the professors when we had a conversation with him and had a beer with him literally just a few days before we left we talked about the whole idea of a observation ask questions don't judge and it was such a, a an intriguing thing so you know as we're traveling around and and every place is different a culture is created by the people within so we went across canada and there were subtle differences but we hit the us and it was every you know 50 kilometers 30 miles there was a different culture that was driven by the people that were there it wasn't right and wrong and to take that kind of a observe ask questions don't judge with me it was an incredible experience because i got to learn and understand so much rather than saying oh man those people are loud when we were in new york or man those people are really quiet when we were in atlanta or something like that so it was such an incredible experience when i got back um i was fairly comfortable uh you know around people and things so i i i got a job with an organization that um it was in the logistics business and it was a big company about 800 million dollars and it was fascinating to me because i was brought in and because i could kind of position myself well and they had just gone through deregulation they didn't know what marketing was at all their their idea of a uh, their vp of sales and marketing with a 6 foot 6 norm who could outdrink everyone else and they they and it was all about push marketing go get it sold go get it sold what what are your numbers today go get it sold and manipulation that happened was unbelievable and people were customers were onboarded even if they didn't really need the types of services that were there because it was all about the money and i could see the damage that was there at the time and and i started to like really ask myself those questions you know are we really benefiting these people or we're just in this competitive mode of get the business at any cost and that's where the whole idea of differentiation 
and, and, and creating a certain amount of value and, and create strong relationships. That's where it all kind of came to me. And, and I realized when I started to develop some systems approaches to it and I changed that, our business did so well in a short period of time that it was it was crazy because we were creating relationships and actually looking at the whole value component. And this was the major differentiation point for us. It wasn't just the product because our products were pretty good, but it was also the way we our relationships were and how we help customers and everything else. That combination was the differentiation, right? And and you know now you have so many different products that are competing directly against each other, and you can't really tell the difference a lot of the times. Where is the real difference? And the real difference is in the ability to to create a relationship and to bring extra value to the customers and and whether it be their understanding and how to utilize it, sharing information that others have, best practices, however it happens to be. So that that was kind of the fundamental that kind of hit me. And as I was going through that process, there really, it was all about closing the business and things at the time. And, And, you know, as I moved along with it, I started to realize that we really don't have much in the way of educational materials or programs or courses or a book that kind of deals with sales in that type of a mode. Now we have more now, obviously, but back in the 90s, we did not have that kind of thinking at all, which is what drove that thing that uh, that uh, that uh, for me to go, yeah, I got to write this thing. <laughs> Even when you look around today, we are sort of going through the same kind of motions we did in the 90s as a, as a sales organization. Yes. We are still trying to manipulate. We are still trying to outsmart the potential buyer or the procurement department. Uh, this is not to say that the buyers or the procurement guys have no role in it. I mean, we, we can discuss that separately. But as a sales organization, we have continued to remain very inward looking, rather inward outward. It was. It is not about what you would say, building relationships and relationships cannot be built with a one-way street formula that this is a relationship where you give me and I give you nothing, uh, right. right? So wh- why do you think, I mean, th- this was a younger you, so which means there are, there is a whole generation of leaders who have come, who are part of your generation and my generation, uh, but they're still doing the same thing. Yes. Why do you think that is? Well, partly because they can. And the other part is that a lot of their competitors are doing the same thing. So uh, if you're still able to compete and make a lot of money without necessarily creating the kinds of exceptional relationships that you grow with your customers, um, I mean, it is happening in certain areas, but certainly to your point, there is still a lot of pressure, uh, manipulation and making all this work. A lot of it's based upon the motivation for it and things. And when the competitive environment is not necessarily as as far along from a relationship perspective as it could be, you can still thrive within an environment that has not been growing. And unfortunately, you know, sales has been labeled that way for such a long time. And, you know, a lot of times it was the person who was quick and efficient and could kind of get somebody cornered and get them into a situation where they're closing the business. And it was hard for them to say no then uh, uh, even though they would, wouldn't necessarily stay with them that long, right? Then they'd switch again as soon as they could. Um, because a lot of it is, yeah, you can get the business closed, but have you got it for a long time? Have you created the type of relationship that's lasting? 
um, you know, are your customers with you for years or weeks? And, and those are a lot of the different questions that are not asked at that point. So it's, it's actually pretty fascinating. And that's part of why things have not evolved to the same level, because um, it takes about a certain amount of investment of time and energy to get into that kind of an ongoing mode. Uh, but the power of the strength of those relationships is phenomenal when, once you get there. Yeah, so I uh, sort of uh, talk to, as you know, I mean, talk to a lot of sales and marketing leaders and and I continue to hear this, that it still works. Uh, yeah. So I'll give you two quick examples. One, yesterday, day before yesterday, I was speaking to a, a head of sales of a 450-man IT uh, services company. And he said his best cold caller makes 500 calls a week has 50 lifts, which means 50 times people out of the 500 people pick up the phone. And of that, more than 60% straight away drop off because they're not interested. And of the remaining 24 or 20, three people agree to come to a meeting. So 500 to 50 to 24, 20 to three. And of about 25 to 30 such meetings, one customer gets converted. So it's basically, if you're talking of 500 calls a week, this is after seven weeks, we get one customer. And he says, he's my best guy and, and he's making quota. Now, I just cannot understand at what level of efficiency are we agreeing that this is fine? Well, that's an interesting question because there's a, there's a few different elements in it. And what is that industry all about? And what are they selling? And um, you know, you know, sort of what's the pricing around it and things like that. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it, to to go with one out of five hundred as your closing rate, um, you know, that's that's kind of crazy when you think about it, right? So it's uh, and you really are plowing through rather than listening and connecting, and yeah. uh, and it does take some different strategies to do that as well. And there's a lot of different moving factors, you know, in terms of what is the sale. Is it a $2 sale or is it a $2,000 sale and things like that? And what are the margins and what's the level? How long can you be with them? And what are some of the problems that you can help solve as well, you know, as you're going through? So there's a lot of different moving parts to being able to look at. This is our sales dynamic. Here's the situation that's going on in our sales environment. And here are the different moving parts that we have to look at and understand. You know, and and uh, to take a, a sophisticated sell and sell it in in a bombastic way that way doesn't make a lot of sense because the relationships aren't going to be that long. That one person, they they probably get hit with a whole bunch of calls, and they may only last a little while. So you're constantly filling in um, as some fall out. You're filling in new ones, right? You know, I, questions I would ask is how long do those clients remain clients uh, once they're onboarded? Yeah, you know, things like that. Yeah, in in all fairness, he did say that once people, once they get them, they are able to retain them for a while and they get multiple pro projects. But 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 there is this point before we get into how you actually went about writing the book. I understand, okay, I am reaching out to 500 and I get one customer who gives me $50,000. Say, it, it looks like a good win because I'm $50,000 richer and so on. But imagine what, what it's doing actually. You have... You cannot have millions of $50,000 customers. You, are, you possibly have a universe of 5,000. Yeah. And, and you are actually plowing through them quickly to find the 10 or 15 who will buy from you today. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and the larger the number, theoretically, it gets justified that doesn't matter. I go to 1,000 people and sell a half a million dollar deal. It, it still works. But what you're really doing is you are, you are plowing through this entire universe of who can give you a 500 million, uh, sorry, yeah, $500,000 deal. And, and you think it is okay because for now it works. So, yeah, that said, you, you thought that differentiation was key building the relationship and, and that you built a protocol around that in your job and you, and you found success. And that sort of prompted you to write the book. What was your actually writing process? How do you decide, okay, these are the segment, this is what goes into it, uh, and, and this is how I'm going to structure it. What was that process like? Well, um, it was fascinating because uh, I also ran seminars, ran training programs. Um, so I had the opportunity of interacting with people, both public programs where people from many different industries could all attend, and also private ones for large corporations. Um, uh, you know, where they had, you know, 5,000 salespeople across their whole system, right? And, and mainly in uh, North America, mainly Canada, United States. So I had the opportunity of, of spending time and hearing the stories and seeing the different opportunities that kind of went with those. So that's, that's where a big part of that ca- kind of came together on it. And I saw the really successful salespeople um, were the ones that had someone come to them because someone else told them the whole referral network, right? If you pressure sale and you push somebody and you, you might get that one account, but if they know seven other people, they tell those seven people, don't work with them. They're a jerk, right? And then that takes away some of that opportunity. And I would see that a lot of times the best salespeople were the people that created incredible relationships with their customers, obviously, to onboard them correctly, but also with other people within the industry sector. So when somebody needed or was thinking of something new, oh, you got to talk to, oh, you got to talk to, rather than, uh, oh, oh, don't talk to, (laughs) you know? I mean, I've had a couple of those experiences one time when I moved. Uh, an organization was, they took, you know, personally, uh, they took such advantage of us that I, I told the guy, I said, you're, you, you know, for your extra thousand um, uh, dollars, I'm going to tell 200 people not to use you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. You know, uh, so, so, so there's all these different pieces that need to kind of come together on it. And, that, and that's what kind of drove where, where those things came from. What was it like? I mean, were you like setting aside weekends to write the book or were you writing every day? What was your writing process like? Well, it was a couple of things. One is I already had a framework that I created to train people. Um, so what I did was I would I was out and observed and, and I did some selling myself, obviously, uh, uh, as it went. But I also had the opportunity of observing others using sort of a, a rough systematic approach that I had was putting together. And then when I started to teach people and run training programs, I had the materials really, and then you record it and then kind of, okay, let's put it through a thinking structure. And that's kind of how it came together the way it did. And, and, and within the book, I've got, you know, little sections, you know, I don't necessarily say write them in the book, but they, 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 they show you, this is how we would do it. In those days, everything was kind of written by hand as well. And, and uh, yeah. so you jot down, write the notes and, and it kind of evolved into, 
you, you know what, what what I what I like to call a, a implementation manual as much as a book because it was how do you implement a new way and it's different with different people right it's not one size fits all it's very much about asking yourself questions understanding your sector understanding your strengths and what makes you a, a, a good person and and in this area and what are the types of uh, people that you're going to be working with what are the types of things that are important to them both professionally and personally. Because it's the relationship that actually allows you to create those longer term um, opportunities and where they talk about you and so many other opportunities come through those people. You know, it's a, I had, it was an interesting aha experience where I had one of the uh, uh, salespeople, her name was Leslie back in the day, and, uh, and she was just closing like crazy. And, and she was using the system to a certain degree. But, you know, once we really sat down to it, we looked at it and um, almost 85% of her leads were from people who were currently her customers, but yeah. people weren't counting that stuff. Right. And it was yeah. Yeah. when you think about it, because it is about integrity and creating relationships and making sure there's a value exchange and not just a, I'm going to get the business. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also like you mentioned in the book somewhere that you need to ensure not only value exchange, but, value realized by the other party yes uh, i i i i understand that so so let, let's let's get into the book uh, you uh, start with what you call is what are the new realities right mm-hmm. and and what do you see are those new reality, realities which which are still relevant today well, yeah, in in our industrial world, uh, there's still realities of uncertainty and change, and more and more competitors and technology advancements, and there's a whole bunch of different things that have been happening just to different levels, right? I mean, you know, back in the '90s, '80s, and '90s and 2000s and things, uh, uh, different types of products and services were evolving. People were adding value to it. The market was changing. The quality of the different technology and the delivery systems that was changing as well. And we've, you know, we're going through pretty dramatic change right now, societally. You know, with with the, with the COVID period and some of the uncertainty about the, some of the global war issues that are going on and things like that. Um, and in the shift we're going through into the what I call the AI digital age from the industrial age, right? And, um, and the industrial age is very structure oriented. Um, you report here, you report here. You know, people uh, kind of understood um, they could do the job for of the people that were reporting to them. But now we're moving into a place where a lot of the people that are doing the work, um, the managers can't actually do their work. And it's a very, very different time that we're shifting into, and, and we're triggered into it. So there's this age of uncertainty now that there was back in those days as well, with all of the different change that was going on. So it's important to embrace that. And, and so many people go, oh, my God, things are changing. What do we do? This is horrible. You know, all that kind of stuff, rather than saying, how can we help support this change? What do, what do we need to adjust to help our customers thrive? through this time? Is there an impact that we can have? And to ask those types of questions, even if it's simple sales, by making the process easy, by making them, giving them easy accessibility, by making sure that 
you know, the, the, their channel is full and they're always, they always have enough products, et cetera. You know, there's so many different ways of helping that where they could spend more of their time doing something other than managing the relationship as well. Right. And, and that's really kind of where the new realities has come into. And that part really hasn't changed. And <laughs> it's funny, you go back 10 years, people are talking about this new world. You go back 20 years, people are talking about this new world. You go back 100 years, people are talking about this new world. So we're always going to be having that. So what, what are these new realities that we need to embrace and be a part of? Um, let's talk about, I mean, uh, finding the differentiation and, and sort of your differentiation process. And then we can get in a little about understanding what is the buying process and the decision-making process and what are the elements of buying and so on. So let's start with, with the differentiation process as you have captured in your framework. Yeah, well, and it's a simple process, really. It's uh, um, sitting back a little bit and observing and asking questions around things and constantly doing that. Because what is it that we can do differently? Or what is it that we can do to differentiate ourselves? And the answer comes from multiple places. It's not just one, right? The obvious one, if it's a product, what is it about our product that makes us different than our competitors, right? Um, and and and, and uh, um, then there's what is it about our support system that makes could make us different from our competitors? Then the third thing is what are the different elements that we can do to help improve our customer situation that may not be directly related to our product and service, but that's a differentiating factor from a relationship point of view. So again, depending on what it is, you have products and services from a delivery perspective, and then you have the strength of the relationship that can help them to thrive and, and being able to share out different ideas, et cetera, et cetera, that brings a huge amount of value to it as well. So differentiation is what, what is it that makes us different from the others, both from a productization perspective, as well as from a relationship support, going to market support, optimization, being able to utilize things extremely well you know, making sure that there's that really strong relationship there. And that, that really is the differentiation process. And then the other part is, how do I create a really strong relationship? Because when we create a relationship, then we're differentiating ourselves because we now have a friendship or, you know, which borders into that. Um, and, and I'm not talking about the, the you know, the, the complete, but the friendship is a true friendship is where the friend's want to help the others improve their lives, improve whatever happens to be where they are. And, and, uh, and, 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 you know, I, I'd say to that, you're not going to become best friends with everybody, but to develop a strong enough personal relationship with people is extremely strong. That's why some of the best salespeople, once they leave one place, they end up taking a lot of customers with them because the relationship is with them as well as the organization. Uh, but the stronger one is with them uh, in a lot of cases. So that's how we kind of pull that together and understanding human motivation, right? Because humans are very much motivated. Most humans are, some aren't, but most humans are very motivated to be connected to other humans, right? We're very, uh, uh, that's the way humans are all brought up and that's the way we are. We thrive when we're actually working together for a better outcome and and and, and leveraging the strengths of the different group of the team. So by creating that kind of a relationship, then you're differentiating yourself and your offering in that particular environment. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's time for a short break. Stay with us after the break. So how do you 
increase the the experience that they have to understand exactly what it is they're looking for from a much deeper level than buying a car. What you're doing is then selling them an experience of driving. And when that happens, then the people get attached to it because, because nine times out of 10, they're getting the right car. And the second thing is that they're able to understand why and how to optimize that. And this person helped them do it. You are listening to a Business Podcast Network original. Podcasting is the fastest growing content marketing opportunity, which is untapped. We can help you craft your audio strategy and help leverage the wide reach and easy streaming capability that the smartphone penetration provides. It is easy, it is powerful and personal. Talk to us to find out how podcasting can help you build your brand and reach out to your targets like never before. Write to us at bpn at bizcast.in that is bpn at b-i-z-c-a-s-t dot i-n Business Podcast Network Podcasts End to End Welcome back. I'm Shubhanjan Sarkar, your host for Bits About Books and founder of Pitchlink, the buyer-seller engagement platform. Let's dive right back into the episode where we left it. You also mention about chalking up small differentiations into a big differentiation. So basically stack small differentiations, small add-ons or value adds. And and once you stack the small ones, that can finally tote up into a big differentiation for the customer's point of view. Would you like to elaborate a bit on that? Yeah, well, essentially, again, a lot of it depends on what the sell is and what it is you're offering to your client or customer. But I mean, if we use a car as an analogy, you know, oh, yeah, we've got absolutely the best car on the market. You got to buy it, right? You're going to love it. You're going to love it. It's just a great, great car. We got a good reputation. We give you a three-year warranty. Everything's great. Okay. That's one part. The other part is what kind of experience do you like? Do you drive it often? Um, how can you know? You know, is it air conditioning? Is it the roof you want? Um, how, do you prefer being up higher or down lower as you're seeing other cars coming along? And asking questions about them. So, how do you increase the the experience that they have to understand exactly what it is they're looking for from a much deeper level than buying a car? What you're doing is then selling them an experience of driving. And when that happens, then the people get attached to it because because nine times out of 10, they're getting the right car. And the second thing is that they're able to understand why and how to optimize that. And this person helped them do it, if you know what I mean. And and that's really where the differentiation can come into it. And that's understanding an individual and asking questions and listening, right? Sure. So let's break up the buying decision-making process and what goes into that so so that we get a view of what are we dealing with from the customer's point of view. Right. Well, I mean, there's a few different stages you go through. Uh, first is you got to spark interest. And there's a lot of clutter out there right now and things too. So, uh, you know, get them interested enough to both talk to you and then be open enough even to listen and be a part of the conversation, right? So it's getting them, it sparks some interest, get them there. Then to me, it's been connect with them. So develop, and you know, you're not going to be best of friends, obviously, but develop a bit of a personal relationship um, by asking questions, trying to understand what is it, um, being empathetic towards their particular situation. 
being an active listener and asking a lot of questions around that type of thing and understanding their neural preferences, right? Because we all process information differently. And, uh, you know, the simplest one, the auditory kinesthetic uh, uh, and visual people, right? Very much we think in different ways. So, you know, visual people move along quickly and they think in pictures and what does this look like to you? They're right into it. Auditory people are, hmm, what does that sound like, right? And then kinesthetic people, quieter, they got to feel right about it, right? And, and it, you know, if a visual person, and a lot of salespeople are very visual, they talk fast, they do this, they do that, and they're talking to a kinesthetic buyer, there's no connection there. Visual person uses language like, oh, what does this look like to you? Kinesthetic person, oh, I don't know, I don't see anything. Um, but if you said, hey, what is, how do you feel about this? Well, you know, this is how I feel. So being able to connect with them personally, and then start to explore the opportunities of how you can help them and how you can kind of work together on things. But all too often, salespeople skip those two and go right into the, hey, this is why you need our product idea, rather than actually understanding the human or even uh, sort of getting them interested enough to have that conversation. So is it our urgency to try to sell, make quota that pushes us away from doing a proper uh, discovery of the needs and surfacing the value that the customer is out to get? Well, I think sometimes um, you, you can be more purposeful if you understand everyone you're going to interact with. You will yeah. naturally find certain number of people that are like you are, and you'll immediately hit it off with them. You, you've seen that happen. You're at a party, you talk to somebody, you just get connected so quickly, and you become friends within three minutes. And then there's other people where you can't wait to get away, you know, uh, because this conversation yeah. isn't, you know, and, and we're just yeah. not connected on where we want to be. So it's, a, you, you know, so the answer is you will. Um, but if you have empathy, you ask questions, you observe, and you use language that's appropriate to the person you're developing a relationship with, you can develop a relationship with most people that you meet. You know, it's it's really quite uh, amazing when, when we do that because people who people like each other who are like they are, as I always say quite often, right? And and right. that and it's one of the problems in business as well because you get a bunch of people that are like each other. Um, they don't figure like the others, but the others may complement what they're doing. So they need to figure out a way of working together. And a good yeah. salesperson will understand by getting all of these different groups, and it may be the person doing the buying, but other people within their sphere, to get everybody working together and connected really well, that creates the best outcomes. And and also the fact that if there are five or seven or 10 people in a buying committee, it's very likely that many of them will have divergent outcome requirements, uh, which is very different from what the user and user is looking for. Right. And and yeah. and as we all know, nobody in the buying committee can take a decision to buy, but everyone carries a veto. Anyone can spike the whole process. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so so I think uh, the need to understand what their own outcome requirements are also become a critical component of understanding the buying process. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> yeah. No, it's funny that way. And it's, a, you, you know, a lot of organizations don't really optimize their purchasing capability because they have, they think it's good that we'll have checks and balances when we have these five people who are very different as a part of the process. 
which is all great because they can see things that the others don't, but it's all too often it gets stuck in the I'm right, you're wrong. Um, no, this is way too much money. Yeah, but look at the value. No, no, no. We're, you know, you know, you know that kind of they get stuck as well. Yeah. So being able to facilitate that kind of commonality, and I'm not saying just get everybody agreeing for no reason, but help them understand that this is good for your customers. It's good for your organization. It's good for your bottom line. There's efficiency here. There's financial outcomes. You know, all the different types of things that are required. And get that group actually collaborating on those types of conversations. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of the, the workshops I ran were helping salespeople facilitate um, purchasing groups um, and, and getting them on side, not necessarily pushing the product, but making sure there's yeah. great clarity on what the outcomes are that the company's looking for through this particular purchasing channel that they're going through. So this sort of brings us to what you call the partnership process, right? It, it is not in isolation. It is actually in conjunction with yes. the customer. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and it, it really is, how do we partner to get the best outcome? You know, we yes. supply you with the product, you supply us with money at the end of the day. Uh, yeah. What is the outcome that we're looking for and how do we optimize that? And make sure that it's happening in a way that needs to. And, and that's what a partnership is, right? It's not just, I'm going to give you this, um, give me a check, and then and, and you figure out how to make it work. It's creating and, and putting more of that into the relationship, you know, and, and helping with that. And sometimes it's bringing best practices, learning other technology capabilities. Um, and if companies are open enough themselves, that information is all there for them. They just need to tap into it, right? That's uh, what I do with my my uh, MindSuite organization is that we gather that information so we can look at the complete process and how all these different pieces actually fit together, you know, as it goes through. Because the sailing process is one part of it. It's the marketing and delivery that needs to be on part of it. And if that's properly facilitated through the sales process, it's amazing the outcomes that we can get. That that brings us to another part, and I would just like to know your view on that. There's a lot of discussion about whether there is a relevance of marketing, sales, customer success silos, or they should all be wrapped into one singular team, uh, where at all levels, the handover and as well as understanding will be smoother and not at the cost of the customer. What are your thoughts today on that? Yes. Um... It's an interesting question because we are still very hierarchical in that particular part, right? And, and all too often, we kind of keep sales and marketing separate. And companies will have a VP of sales and a VP of marketing who quite often are clashing over a lot of different things. But the but sales is one of the four Ps of marketing, right? Which is yeah. a, a part of it. But, you know, product, price, place, promotion. And, and I know that model has been shifted around into six Ps and different things like that. But at the end of the day, it's still a core where there's a number of different elements. But because sales is quite unique sometimes and power-based, it's kept separate from the whole thing. But they got to be working well together. The messaging and the positioning and all the different areas that occur through marketing of the organization they need to be uh, consistent with the sales delivery because you market the company as something and then sales doesn't deliver on it and then operations does a terrible job. What's the point? Yeah, you got yeah. revenue for a short period of time, but you're not actually coordinated that way. And, and, yeah. and as you said, the silos is just something that unfortunately are built because 
of the power base controls that are in those environments. And a lot of times the salespeople, they're pretty, like whoever's leading the sales is pretty comfortable um, uh, getting what they want through various methods that they've learned over the years. So break down those silos and let's reward organizational uh, outcomes and organizational success to the people who are driving it rather than just the individual side. Yeah, sure. Uh, let, let's move on to module two, where you talk about uh, unique prospecting. What do you have in mind when you are talking of unique prospecting? Yeah, and, and there's there's a bit of a shift there. Um, although, you know, a big part of the prospecting is how do we, you know, traditionally the, the view of prospecting is how do we get a, a, a lead, a name? Um, yeah. This and then, then we'll put them into the sales process, right? And true prospecting is really what do we offer? Who do we optimize the value to? What's important to them? And then how can we um, work with them to help share that story and further understand the uniqueness of their situation and make it all work? And what are the different communications vehicles that we can leverage to get there? And that's really a big part of where prospecting is different than what some people traditionally think of, right? Um, you know, you know, there's a traditional make 500 calls this week and we'll close one. That's one way of prospecting to get to that kind of outcome. Um, another is, is you know, companies will support a function of some type. And then yeah. people who are signed up, then we'll follow up with them on that. Or, you know, another big one today is we'll give you know, click here and get a free book. Uh, and then you click there and then somebody comes on and pressures you to buy this other thing along with your free book, right? And then, you know, the people just sort of, they click off and they're not there anymore. So it's really from a prospecting point of view, it's, and it's not an easy answer because it depends on what you're selling, right? And, and I don't mean to avoid the answer to it, but if you're selling a particular product that is, um, very competitive and, it, and, it, and it's predictable and has been around for a while. Prospecting people in there is different than if you come up with something that's truly unique and you want to onboard companies that are thought leaders, that are not afraid to take a bit of a, uh, you know, not afraid to go and try something new um, because there's always a threat of, of a problem there if it's not a part of the original. Now, the outcome could be, and if we help them understand that, you know what, you try this, you could be this much farther ahead of your competitors or your customers or whatever, Then, but they have to be comfortable enough to take that uh, th that type of a risk, right? So, you know, it's getting someone's attention for the right reason, uh, rather than, uh, you know, calling them 75 times and leaving 45 messages. I get that. You know, if, if the name doesn't come up on my phone, I don't answer the call. <laughs> yeah. And, and my uh, thought is that why we are not able to accept that situation today, despite all data, all discussion, all the Gartner and uh, you know, uh, McKinsey reports pointing, Forrester reports pointing to the same thing. Why is this reluctance in the leadership to uh, not adapt and rather go for what they're going for? Yeah, it was... Unfortunately, a lot of times the leaders, um, we call them leaders, which... A lot of times they actually don't fit the true definition of what a leader is. <laughs> yeah. um, they, they may, 
um, but they aren't acting that way potentially. And the difference between leadership and management is very significant. And a lot of people don't really understand that, right? Because true leadership is you create an incredible environment and then get out of the way, right? And you allow things to progress and make them happen. A lot of leaders don't understand that because management is, I'm going to manage this through, which means a lot yeah. of times you get people into a cyclical approach to things without trying new things. And yeah. I think that's some of it, because you've got people in there that probably have a great idea that have never been asked. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I completely you agree. with that all the time. And, but understanding your customers as well, you know, a part of our systems is what we ask the customers what they think. And then we ask the employees if you were the customer, how would you answer this? And a lot of times employees are out of sync with the customers or the certain segments of customers. They think differently than the customers do, um, which is a great learning and understanding to happen because if that's occurring, then our ability to prospect and onboard is not what it could be either and then deliver on the customer requirements, right? So, Right. Let's let's go on to module five, where you're talking of another very interesting area, which is positioning for competitive superiority. So, so it is it is more than differentiation at this point, right? So when you're talking of superiority, it is it is actually comparing and saying that we have benchmarked and, and we are we are sort of at a higher plane in terms of effectivity and quality or whatever. Whatever is your definition of superiority. Let, let's unfold that a bit. Yeah, well, part of it is uh is uh, redefining superiority. Um, all right, the superiority means you're superior, but you're doing things better than the others. Um, and what that means in what the different elements of superiority are, I think need to be rethought and redefined in a lot of cases, right? Absolutely. Like, as I talked earlier, when you're pulling together uh, a number of different things that create incredible value, then you are showing that you're superior to your competitors, even if your product is not, right? The relationship, the experience is. Um, and, and uh, you, you know, we found that, you know, in our, our, our tech systems where we're measuring things about up to about five years ago, uh, quality was the number one element. And if a company had a high quality score with their customers, they were doing well. But about five years ago, that changed from quality to experience. And it's been experience ever since. And that was fascinating to me. And it was kind of neat because I had written about the quality rather than or the experience rather than the quality way back in the day. But it took until about 19 or 2014, 15, when we saw the major changes happen. A lot of it was along with the with the internet and your, your technical experience and things, right? If you were having a good experience, you assumed quality. Um, mm. and, and uh now, you know, I don't say to companies don't have good quality if you're creating a great experience, create both and you got a winning combination, right? Create great experiences for people. And what does that look like? Well, easy purchasing, good relationship with you, problem solving, good conversations, uh, a sharing of best practices and different types of understanding. That creates that kind of a differentiation. And, and even companies that don't necessarily have a, a significantly superior product, they can position themselves as a superior experience. And yeah. uh, and, and that is what people are looking for. And to be able to bring those types of stories in and, and, and have people talk about them, that's what really is important, you know, as we go through. Yeah. Did you think I've left out any of the important important parts of the book which you would like to talk about, Wayne? 
Well, just the, the one other thing is I, I, I developed a, it was a process called GFBBRR, uh, right? Which it, which is a simple way of kind of helping people understand what it is, right? And and the G was a grand result um, uh, that they could have, um, and then reason reaction um, benefit to them as an individual and to the organization, but then not just plowing through it and telling people that R is reaction. How would you feel if this was happening? Is this important to you? How would, and, and make sure that there's a question where the things that you're helping them understand they will experience by working with you and or your organization and products that 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 you will be listening and that'll be a part of that overall experience and understand what it is that's important to them and and people are drawn in and feel a part of it when they're asked that question all too often sales is this 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 here sign on the bottom line rather than how does this feel to you how do you think this could help make your company different what what do you believe once you're you're using a product in a different way what if we could expand you know and how would this make you feel what, what would you see, you know, depending on some of their way they are, those types of questions at the end. So, you know, putting people through, uh, you know, this whole process, it's a simple process, really, but engaging them in it to truly show and empathy is asking questions. Shut up and listen. Right. And, and all too often, salespeople are plowing through the process. Listen, watch the body language and what your customers are all about. That creates the kinds of relationships and changes that uh, that uh, will differentiate you for all the right reasons. You're getting that business because you're improving their situation, their organization situation, et cetera. That's a win-win. That's a win-win-win. Yeah. So, you know, the, the overriding theme of what you spoke with me in the last 30, 40 minutes is build relationships. That's the foundation for doing business. Everything sort of revolves around that. If you have built a strong relationship, it's not only that they will buy from you, but they'll refer you to others who will buy from you. And and, and we all know, we all agree that referrals is the best form of leads that you can have because what referrals are the possibly the only thing which is reflecting the dark social to our advantage. Otherwise, we have no, no way to participate in the dark social on the buyer side. The right. buyer is talking to his colleagues and friends in 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 his WhatsApp. We'll never have access to that. Uh, yep. Yeah, and 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 the only way to sort of see something coming come our way is when they give us references. And 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 Tom says, "Hey, Shivanjan, you should meet with Wayne." And he has written this beautiful book, right? So so it it really works that way. So the question is. When we all know that building relationships and trust, and this is my final question to you, uh, building relationship and trust is at the core of doing business. We still do things every day. And to just give a small example, we, we think nothing about surreptitiously tracking buyer interaction with our mail or our, or our collaterals without taking permission. And, and we believe that we're going to build trustworthy relationships with them. Why why are we doing that? Well, um, I think our world has become increasingly automated. And there's a certain amount of belief that rather than distill quality at this level, you got to have a large volume 
And if you have a large volume, you'll get enough to make it through, right? And uh, and with technology and things, I think it has shifted that a little bit. Um, when at the end, and when I say relationship too, just to make sure there's a definition there, it's not necessarily one-on-one, you and I having a close relationship where we can talk about things and things. Because if, if it's a small sale and, and, and it's uh, relatively like once a year and it's not all that big and things, the, the relationship could be with the organization. Right, which is why really effective marketing quite often is marketing that shares stories of others, that engages people, that invites them to an online session where they can learn more, et cetera. So the relationship can be both human and organizational. And and uh, and that's at the core of it. And if somebody has a relationship that they feel is strong enough, they'll listen to an individual and in a lot of cases they'll make decisions based on that. Or they'll, they'll, there's trusted organizations who have that external brand that is supported by consistency with the sales and marketing groups um, that create the kinds of relationships that they're looking for. And and uh, But at the end of the day, we as a human, we need to feel that relationship with whoever we're buying from. Now, if we don't, we may have to buy something and you order it or whatever. But then next time you need to buy it, if someone else is 10 cents less, you buy it there. Right. Whereas if I had a great experience and oh yeah, that's only an extra dollar, I'll just buy it there still, or whatever happens to be, you know, if you're online or anything like that, yeah. it's where it is. So it's all about the relationship that the person has with the person and or the product or service and or the brand as it goes, which also fits with your ability to recruit too, right? Which is a whole other conversation because the brands are now intertwined to a certain degree and being able to bring in and keep talent, keep those good salespeople and bring them in. You need to create a strong relationship with them and give them the opportunity of being able to create strong relationships amongst each other, as well as with the customer base, you know, as well, as well as organization. You create that triad of relationships, best salespeople love being there. They're going to deliver high end and the customers win. And it's a win for everybody. Win, win, win. Bits About Books is brought to you by Pitchlink, the buyer-seller engagement platform. Pitchlink makes buying easy by enabling high-quality engagement between buyers and sellers through its presentation and discussion modules. Sellers create customized sales narratives using sales collaterals and personal videos and reach out to prospects through a non-intrusive, buyer-qualified engagement. Pitchlink requires no installation or download and holds the entire repository of sales collaterals and buyer-seller conversations. Talk to us to know more about how you can engage with customers without intuition. Call us on 99021-631-32. And there will be companies that are still successful doing it the old way because they don't necessarily have enough competition. But once an industry shifts and the majority of suppliers in a particular sector start to take on more of a relationship and stronger personal approach, then the ones that are uh, successful in spite of themselves are a lot less. And we've seen that happen where major brands have had major collapse uh, because they have not continued to pay attention with the strength of relationships at the level they need to and the changing relationships as the market comes along. Absolutely. Wait, thank you so much. I really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, I hope you had a good time. And I, I hope that people read your book uh, and uh, and there's a lot to take back from there. 
Yeah, well, I, I appreciate the time. This has been a great conversation. And uh, anytime you want, we'll continue it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I, I look forward to that. We have a fantastic lineup over the next couple of episodes with great conversations on breakthrough books. Subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you do not miss a single episode. Thanks for listening. Thank you for being with us today on Bits About Books, where we talk to authors about breakthrough books on sales, marketing, and business. We hope this conversation helped inform and motivate as we all navigate a rapidly changing business environment. For us, these are enlightening conversations enriched with knowledge and expertise. We encourage you to go out and buy the book to learn firsthand and implement some of the great ideas we discussed today. We hope to have you with us again in the next exciting episode of Bits About Books. If you liked what you heard, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Play, Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts from and give us a rating while you are at it. This Biscast original podcast is produced for Pitchlink, the next generation buyer-seller engagement platform where the mission is to make buying easy. Hosted by Subhanjan Sarkar and produced by Rajiv Aditya. See you next time and have a wonderful day.